I've, I've spoken on this passage, I guess, a number of times over my ministerial season, I guess, when I've... And so... Um, Sometimes I, when I talk about this, I have to talk about, I come from a place different than when I spoke about it before, um, so bear with me. So we're calling this uh, new series that we're doing called Summer of the Soul, and I want to focus on our inner world and the things that affect it, our thoughts, emotions, our relationships, our calling, our health and boundaries and the inspired purpose behind our decisions. The scripture passage that um, says this, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So having an abundant soul means that the rest of life can prosper. And this is why we focus on three aspects being prosperous in our soul. The creativity, Connection and conflict. So, now I want you to remember these because I will, my message will get into this a little bit, but the creativity part is how we manifest the dream of God into the world around us, as only we can. It involves our purpose, our calling, our discipline and vision. And if you didn't, weren't here last week and you didn't, you need to uh, listen to Connor's message on uh, the creativity part of what God has called us to as a church. Connection, that's how we relate to God and others. It involves our emotional health, our acts of love, and our vulnerability. And then there's conflict, how we navigate the way life actually is as opposed to how we wanted it to be. It involves boundaries, communication, expectations, and difficulties. So if our soul can thrive in creativity, connection, and conflict, then we will be prosperous people. And I desire that all of us would be prosperous people. So today, I want to focus on the connection with God and, and conflict with others from 1 Kings chapter 19. We're talking about emotional distress this morning, We're talking about depression. We're talking about the discouraging moments of life. We're talking about being under pressure. Now, I always, when I think of that, I think of the song. Now, here I'm going, I'm being like my, under pressure. Uh, Queen, uh, David Bowie, uh, that, that is uh, where I, my mind goes to. Uh, now, don't tell me, I, I don't know what this song is all about, so... And all, I, all that comes to mind is just that, under pressure. But anyway, um, so I, I guess I want to say this as we get down this, this path is I need to give you a little bit of my background. I come from a line of good Christian strength. Um, as long as I can remember, I went to church. I went to church, I was dedicated in church, I was trained in we college, I learned doctrines at a very young age, I uh, was always brought to church. 
Uh, when there was prayer meeting, my mother took me. When I was a teenager, she twisted my arm to go. Um, it was part and parcel of being a good Christian. And when it was time to graduate from high school, my mom felt it was, and dad felt it was important that I go to Bible school. So I've, I've had all of that pedigree in, in my life. And when God called me to the ministry, I, I wanted to make a difference for him. And I wanted to bring transformation to society. And as life went on, the story that God called me to was was one of transformation and of change. But oftentimes when we hit the, the purpose and destiny of our lives, we always will face situations that will challenge that story. And as life went on, I succeeded as a... Uh, uh, I had... When I went into ministry, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. My first uh, couple of years, I, I thought I went into the wilderness. And then um, God called, it was like, he just picked me up. It was a literal pickup and moved me to another place. And it was like, oh, breath of fresh air. Things started to happen and there was people... I was the youth pastor and there was, people started coming and it was successful in the eyes of whatever that was and I thought I was making a difference and things were, I could, you know, tell my youth group where to go and they would join me. And uh, it was like, it, it was a, a successful time. And then I, I went into being an associate role and and the church grew with the pastor and myself and the other leadership, and it just excelled. And then I'd started pastoring my own church as my own senior leader, and it changed. Things changed. And it's funny how the destiny and the things that God's called you to, those things are challenged. And I'll get into that in just a moment. I hopefully that, you know, through all of this, you will see a little bit of yourself. We'll have a little fun. And we'll talk about the, some of the stuff that everyone tries to keep hidden. And um, I hope that uh, you can relate. First Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with a sword. This is just just after the fact that Elijah had confronted the prophets of Baal on, on, on the mountain, and, um, you know, he taunted the prophets of Baal. And uh, the prophets of Baal all died by the sword because they couldn't come through. He challenged them, and God was God, and the prophets of Baal were adulterers and leading the children of Israel into adultery, and so... It was a, a, a tremendous, it was kind of like, you know, the Raptors versus the Warriors and the Raptors won. Okay? It's like, boom. There was just no contest. And uh, so afterwards, so this is what's taken place. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as life of one of them by tomorrow. 
about this time. And he was afraid and rose and ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not, a, I'm not better than my father's. I guess, to me, I can relate to this because at one moment you're the very successful, the next minute you're not. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you were successful one place and you're not successful in another. And quite frankly, the only thing that you're now speaking about to the Lord is for him to take your own life. It's funny how what, has, what was a calling now becomes just a fade, faded story. You know, when you're in that place, you're not very fun to be with. I remember there were times when I was pastoring and I, I had, I, I came to the, I, I had an anxiety situation and I had to take a leave of absence and I had to go on medication and I had to tell my church board that I was, I needed time away, my doctor told me to. And the look on some of their faces was, but you're the pastor, and you shouldn't be facing this. They just couldn't comprehend it, not one iota. Now, this was back, way back into the 90s. (laughs) And so, the aspect of depression and anxiety was not, it was something that you never talked about. It was something that you, as a Christian even, you didn't want to make mention of it because you're supposed to live in the victory side of things. And when I was walking through that time, um, there was a funny thing, and even later is that uh, often I, myself, I would get a nickname of being Eeyore. Oh, woe is me. I don't know what's happening. Eeyore, how many know who I'm talking about? Good, you've read Winnie the Pooh or you've watched the movies. Eeyore is an archetype outsider. The other animals, Pooh, Piglet, Owl, Rabbit, the rest, Tigger, dwelled happily in the hundred-acre wood, knocking each other's doors, having tea, and barking on adventures, but not Eeyore. He lived on the other side of the stream in his gloomy place, marked on the map as rather boggy and sad. Rather than venture out to see others, he waits for them to pass through his field, which doesn't happen often. And he would say, I have my friends. Somebody spoke to me only yesterday. And it was last week, or the week before that, that Rabbit bumped into me and said, Bother. Always something going on. So what does Eeyore spend most of his time doing? 
Like all great outsiders, he thinks, and he takes great pains to distinguish himself from the other animals for this. They haven't got brains, any of them, only gray fluff that's blown into their heads by mistake. There is he who in his lonely corner of the forest sometimes thinks sadly to himself, why? Wherefore? And sometimes not quite knowing what he's thinking at all, while the other animals, able contently through their daily lives, Eeyore wrestles with these questions alone. And the tragedy is that all this thinking doesn't make Eeyore happy. And as Benjamin Hoff has argued in his book, The Tale of Pooh, Eeyore can enjoy life because his mind is clouded with thoughts that cut him off from the world around him, which in this case is the Hundred Acre Wood. That's a beautiful one. He can't live the simple, spontaneous, and joyful life of Pooh Bear with a very little brain, but may be the happiest character in the wood because of it. You see, you have to understand that when situations hit us and they conflict and almost destroy our story, we can become like Eeyore. Our focus isn't on everybody else, it's just on me. And it's unfortunate, but it doesn't even matter if you're in depression nowadays. Life often is dictated and focused on you. We have Instagram and Facebook and all the things that we show that our life has meaning, our life has effect. And we want to make sure that our life gets out there. But when, the, but when the meaning and the purpose are fragile, we can get to the point where it is, it's hard to see the hundred acre wood. It's hard to see what the great things that are happening all around us. And sometimes it is in the past, it has been our, to our detriment as, as the church in general, not our church, but I'm saying the church in general, that we have just allowed that situational circumstances in people's lives to, we just tell them to pick up your socks, pick, you know, just pull up your bootstraps, just get going. I'll tell you right now, just telling a depressed person to do that doesn't work. If someone came along and said, pull up your bootstraps, Elijah, it would not get very far. You see, the context here is that he, he defeated the prophets. He had a bloody showdown. He set up rival sacrifices. The fire of God fell upon Elijah's offering. The whole nation is in an uproar, and they're killing the pagan priests, and they're rebelling against the wicked king Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah just completed the greatest success of his life. But in a moment, it slips away into despair. Why? Jezebel threats trigger an identity crisis of fear and self-doubt. She says he will suffer as the rival prophets of Baal have suffered. 
he believes her and runs away, and his thinking gets him into trouble. And then there's irrational fear, self-loathing, hopelessness, and even thoughts of suicide. How is that possible? How can you have success one moment and be at the extreme other end? Unfortunately, it's not very far away from a lot of us. And so it's very crucial to understand that in your moment of greatest victory can be almost, in a brief moment, your greatest despair. The crucialness of understanding our emotional well-being is vital. You just can't throw stuff up and just say, well, just get over it. It, it, It's bigger than that when you're walking through it, and it seems very distant when you're not. It's hard to identify. It's hard to understand. And when you're walking through it, and I've been there, you don't feel like you're sad or you're upset, but you walk around like Eeyore. It's very disheartening at times. But one thing I, I have noticed, even in my own life, you know, on this side of the venture, is I've realized that a lot of it has to do with how I think. And so it's crucial to have people around you that will help you bring across a different way of thinking because thinking can bring success and thinking can bring defeat. And it's often when we are under pressure that we allow our thinking to be wired in a certain way and we will always default to survival. But I really believe that God doesn't just want you to just survive. I believe that medication is important. I took it myself. And some of you are taking it. So medication is, I'm not against medication. But I want you to understand is that medication for depression is dealing with the symptoms. There still is the issue that we have to walk through, and that is how we walk out life and how we think. And how we look after ourselves. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm off my depression medication. I'm no longer taking antidepressants. But I think the reason why I'm doing I feel good about that, and I, I have no, I want to be careful here. I've had setbacks in my thinking, but I look after myself. I try to run, walk, 
at least five miles a day. Because exercise helps the serotonin walk through and bring more of that happening in your life. So you can make good decisions. So there's an aspect of eating, sleeping, running, exercise that are important to your everyday life. So I'm not a doctor. I can only tell you from my perspective of what I've done. But there is a healthy inner world that God desires to bring forth in each and every one of our lives. So first, let's get practical. Do you have an on-off switch or an off switch when you leave the problems at work at the door? Are you slave to the notifications on your phone 24-7? Does the news cycle get control of how you feel on any given day? Do you just have things you do just for fun alone? Do you take time by yourself, or are you always around people? Are you purposefully scheduling time to laugh and enjoy life with your closest friends? Or do, you just, or do those moments just happen by accident or on rare occasion? Elijah had spent himself fully, and that's why, emotionally speaking, he's a lot like Eeyore. He gives voice to the emotional distress on his insides. His soul is saying, I'm done, I can't take it anymore. Fortunately, his soul doesn't get to make the decision. So let me be clear. If you have thoughts of suicide, or if you suspect you're in a depressive state, or if you feel unmotivated and resigned about life, you are human. You are not unspiritual, but you do need help, just like everyone else. Soul problems are different than spiritual problems. You can't pray them away. You can't fast enough to fix them. Emotional crises is a sign you need emotional restoration. And sometimes it's as simple as having a coffee with a friend. Sometimes it's letting God in to heal the insecurities and wrong beliefs. And sometimes it's making a plan so you can regularly replenish the inner world of your life. And sometimes it's the right medication. But whatever it is, it's necessary, not just for you, for everyone else who might be in your condition. Even the Son of God did not endlessly give of himself without taking time away. He allowed the Spirit to restore his soul. And if Jesus had an action plan to protect his emotional health, you should too. All of us need to know that our creativity will experience conflict. Now, I want you to go back to those definitions. All of us need to know that our creativity will experience conflict. When I talk about creativity, I'm talking about the story of your life, the purpose, the calling, the destiny that he's called you to. There is this inner working in you that makes you you, and you have been designed to fulfill and go out and reach and grab it. Some of you are called to be teachers. Some of you are called to be nurses. Some of you have called to be construction workers. Whatever it is, there's something inside you that makes you tick, and it makes you feel good. 
because you've been designed that way. But there is also an aspect that will bring conflict and want to sever and bring destruction to your story. I wanted to see transformation take place and I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. I want to see the Spirit of God move and bring a revival to the land. All of those are great goals. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look out and I could see less people in this church, immediately the conflict arises in there's something wrong with me. You see, we need to know that this, the story is there, the destiny, the purpose is there. You will experience conflict, and that goal, if it's, and if it's unresolved conflict, it will sever the, con- the connection. When we go back to the word connection, it talks about your relationship with others and your relationship with God. If conflict is not resolved, it will sever the connection. Severed connection leaves you vulnerable and alone and concentrating on your survival. That's why it's so important for us to not feel like there's this this thing in culture that celebrates independence and do it by yourself and get up on your pedestal because I am able to conquer the world. I don't need anybody to make a difference in this life. We celebrate that. We used to make a a joke, Barb and I, about our missionary friend who came to visit. I'm going to stand here and talk for a while. Because he could speak really well, and he had tremendous stories of how God used him in the Muslim world. And people were excited about what was happening in his mission field. And they used to give money to his mission's work. But when the budget was filled, the missionary organization sent him out still more so that he could get more money for the other missionary works because he was on a pedestal that people would give. We celebrate the people who are successful, who are up on a pedestal, who have made a difference, and we think, oh, I want to be just like them. We used to bug him, and he used to bug us back. But it's interesting that in the same token that there's this cultural relevance of celebrating the awesomeness of one, that we still carry it when we are discouraged and we feel like we are at the bottom of the pedestal and we think no one cares but we still think 
but we can do it by ourselves. There's this thing that's going on in church today, and I, it just came to my, my... We sometimes are treating church like Instagram and Facebook. It's okay to just kind of connect, but you don't really have to do anything with it. There's coming a time where we will really need each other, and it just won't be for just attendance. The world today needs connection. And so what we need to do is connect. Because when the situation, when your world is rocked from destiny and purpose, the very thing that gets severed is connection. And the very thing that you need to be connected to is people. But people don't know how to be with people. Connor was just saying this to me the other day because we were talking about church and how there is a... People will, will come to church because that's the only... They will be only be able to hear the message because of their attendance, not because of the podcast. We are so informationally in overload that we can go... I can hear T.D. Jakes in... 10 after 10 to Bill Johnson over here to, and I can get information overload, but I cannot get connection. That's why it's so important for us to get together. And not just in a service setting, but to fellowship, to enjoy one another, to get to know one another. I was amazed, you know, sometimes... Like we, we have this, we have our, this, we have our young's, young life group. And we call them young life group because we're old people. We're the oldest in the group. So, but as we were doing this, we asked them to share something that they don't know about each other. Now, it's all of those who are in our young life group, you've been meeting for two or some years. So you should know some of the things that, you don't know about each other, right? You should know it all. But it was amazing how they still didn't know some of the things about each other, and they've been meeting for two years. It's because we don't know how to connect. We don't know how to talk about what some of the stuff of what we're talking about because we keep it private because we can do it by ourselves. There is a, there is a flow of culture that says, I am independent and proudly so, so don't move me off my pedestal or from underneath my rock. And here we find Elijah saying, he laid down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him and saying to him, Arise, eat. And then he looked, and behold, there was, an, there was at his head a bread of cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank and went in in the strength of that 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now what's so important about that is that Horeb was the place where Moses got the Ten Commandments. 
It's also called Sinai. It's interesting that Elijah was drawn to go back to the place where God gave a word to Moses. He needed a word. Good point. When you're in the darkest of dark times, it's time to go on a journey to the last place you heard God speak. Or to the place you know He speaks. You ever seen uh, those uh, Snickers commercials? Can we turn the AC up? I'm dying back here. It's on. Can't you feel it? Can you feel that? Oh. <laughs> Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Why? Every time you get hungry, you turn into a diva. Just eat it so Ooh. we can all coexist. Turn into your a diva. Mm -hmm. Then your system breaks. Okay. Thank you. Better? Better. Will you get your knees out of the back of my seat? Oh. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. You can take moments by yourself to go through all of the Snickers commercials. I like the one with Robin Williams being the football coach. But um, the ones where someone is clearly out of place and acting grumpy, they're disorientated at first and you're not sure what's happening until one of the characters lands those, those Snicker bars and they take a bite and they transform into their ordinary self again. When you're not hungry, and it's true, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating healthy? Are you using food for comfort instead of nourishment? Are you exercising regularly, even if it's just a walk around the block? The angel here says something significant. Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. You do yourself no favors by burning the candle at both ends. And sometimes life feels too difficult because it is too difficult. Sometimes God doesn't want you to push ahead. Sometimes he wants you to eat and drink and sleep. You need to unstring the bow and you, before it breaks. Psalm 127 says, The Lord builds the house. It is vain to get up early and stay up late and think you're doing it by yourself, yourself any favors. Grace flows within healthy limitations. Just like we cannot heal our soul's questions with spiritual answers, we cannot solve our physical needs with spiritual remedies. Yes, Jesus says man does not live by bread alone, but they, all, but they also said he went around eating and drinking, so much that they called him a glutton. Do not deny your physical health for spiritual reasons. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now here's where I want to make... a. You have to understand here is that there's two times. The reason why there's two is because it's important. The, the angel does it in, twice. The journey for answers. The journey for your answers. For the situation you find yourself in. In the sense that to make sense of the conflict to your creativity will need time and preparation. Did you hear me? What you're facing in situational circumstances, when you feel discouraged and down and beat up, you need to take time to prepare, rest, and strengthen. 
Receive from the Lord that which is needed for the next step of your story, to strengthen your story. You see, God also desires to strengthen and use this situation, this conflict, as a testimony of His grace. It's not something that's going to cause you to wait and not do anything. He desires to bring His glory upon the situation. And sometimes it needs to rest, strengthen, renew, and receive from what God has for you. Too often, because we've, as a church, have, have not understood when people are down and discouraged and just ask them to pull up their bootstraps, we haven't really made a place for people to rest and strengthen and renew and get the capacity built back up again inside their lives. And you know what? That capacity just doesn't happen when we just throw our money. We have to throw our time. Give our time. Invest our time. Give of our time so that the journey, they can receive the strength that's needed for the next step of the journey. It says here that he came then to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken their covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So what does God say? Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. He didn't say, oh, you poor thing. You ever heard of the, you ever, uh, do you remember about dodo birds? The dodo bird perhaps was the most famous species that humans drove to extinction. You'd be hard-pressed, Bill Bryson writes about the dodo bird. He says, you'd be hard-pressed, I would submit, to find a better pairing of occurrences to illustrate the divine and felonious nature of the human being, a species of organism that is capable of unpicking the deepest secrets of the heaven while at the same time pounding into extinction for no purposes at all, a creature that never did us any harm and wasn't even remotely capable of understanding what we were doing to it as we did it. Indeed, dodos were so spectacularly short on insight, it is reported that if you wish to find all the dodos in a vicinity, you only had to catch one and set it to squawking, and all the others would waddle along to see what was up. The indignities of the poor dodo didn't end quite there. In 1755, some 70 years after the last dodo's death, the director of, the, of a museum in Oxford decided that the institution-stuffed dodo was becoming unpleasantly musty and ordered it to be tossed on a bonfire. This was a surprising decision as it was by this time the only dodo in existence stuffed or otherwise. A passing employee, a gas, tried to rescue the bird but only could save its head and part of one limb. As a result of this and other departures from common sense, we are now entirely sure what a living dodo was like. We possess much less information than most people suppose a handful of crude descriptions, 
by unscientific voyagers, three or four oil paintings, and a few scattered fragments. As Strickland wistfully observed, we have more physical evidence of some ancient sea monsters than we do of a bird that lived in modern times that required nothing of us to survive except our absence. Do you feel like the last dodo bird? Defenseless, helpless, and maybe a little musty. Do you feel like the things you care about or the things you see the world is going extinct? If you're going to do something meaningful with your life, you're going to have to face loneliness. If you're going to do something with your life, you're going to have to face loneliness. You see, the same thing that we celebrate, the person on top of the pedestal or the person that we think, or we, we say the person underneath in the bottom rung or underneath, both of those people are alone. Loneliness is and will be something that you have to face. Once the thing is done, Everybody's going to be doing it. Before that, there might be moments where you're blazing the trail by yourself, but loneliness is a symptom that we need connection. Some people feel lonely because they're, they're not being supported. Some feel lonely because they feel misunderstood. Some people only feel like they're alone when, they're, when in reality they're not. But even when loneliness is a wrong perception, it is a feeling that only can be healed with genuine connection. This is why God invites Elijah to stand on the mountain before the Lord. God invites Elijah to an environment of connection so he will not feel alone. Taking time to appreciate the presence of God can feel like a burden sometimes. It can feel totally detached from our real problems and challenges, but God doesn't take advantage of you when you are vulnerable. Let me say that again. When you are down and discouraged and, and overwhelmed, the, sometimes the last thing you want to do is be in the presence of God or worship Him. But it is the place where you need to be. Because you know what? It's the connection of other people's worship that starts to bring the healing. That's why this is so important. Your worship helps bring healing to others. Your worship helps bring healing to others. His presence will not take advantage of you. Instead, God meets your real needs before he addresses your perception. In verse 18, God tells Elijah his isolated viewpoint is wrong. He says, you're not the only one. There's like 600 guys I've already chosen and they're ready to go. Or 7,000. Sorry, my version says six. No, <laughs> 7,000 in all the knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed them. While 7,000 isn't a huge number, it isn't the same as being the only one left. 
You cannot be truly lonely when you're aware of the abiding presence of God with you and within you. You, are, you still need other people, of course, but you need them less when you have more reasonable expectations of them when you first, than when you first spent time with God. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Elijah here is desperate. He needs God to intervene because he's having an emotional crisis. And suddenly, every possible sign from heaven happens all at the same time. Now, why in the world would a guy who just saw fire come down from heaven and consume a, a drenched sacrifice be meeting all this stuff? And sometimes it seems like it is, it, it's, it's confusing. You feel confused. But you have to understand that when you're in the bottom of the bucket, it, those things, God's not in it. Because we celebrate the earth, if we, we celebrate the voice of the earthquake that shakes us to our core, or the fire that consumes all the stuff. It's those, those, those things that give us Holy Ghost goosebumps on the back of our back and go, oh, oh God was here. When you're in the bottom of the barrel, your, your emotions aren't there. Those things don't make sense. The only thing that does make sense is the quiet, still, small voice of God. Because what's going to change you is not the stuff. It's His voice. Understanding and hearing Him alone changes you. Let me, I, I want you to understand that the voice of God, when you hear it, changes you. If you ignore it, it will change you. When you obey it, it changes you. It, it just does. so importantly and vital as a Christian in our discipleship to know and to hear the voice of God. And yet, it's sometimes the, the very aspect of the voice of God feels like it is some strange hearing that we got to have, and it's, it's very faint. It doesn't, you know, it just, it's got to be just so. It's, you know, we got to have four worship courses, then, you know, you got to, you know, make sure you've got this certain feeling, and then, oh, did you hear that? 
oh, there's a portal over there, or there's a, something over, like, we've geared the voice of God to so many different things. I guess what was inspiring to me is that when the voice of God begins to speak to you, and it speaks to you and through you, and you see the evidence of it, it radically changes who you are. Nothing was so more uh, evident when we did ancient paths and we saw God speaking prophetically into people's life, life after life, and they were literally changed. They walked out free. Some interpreters say that the right way to understand this moment is God spoke through the silence. God was present precisely where Elijah thought God was not. Are you really, are you already capable, you are, sorry, you are already capable of hearing God. But when you're in crisis, he often will speak to you in a different way than you're expecting. Why? The storm was already going on in Elijah. The whirlwind and the fire and the earthquake was already happening inside of him. He doesn't need more stress and pressure. Have you ever loudly told an angry person to just calm down? Have you ever told a hysterical person to just get a hold of yourself? Have you ever told someone who's anxious, you're just seeing this wrong? How did that work out? God is more sensitive than that. Sometimes he speaks of the dramatic gestures, but he, all, but he can always be heard in silence, solitude, and stillness. If you're willing to look for him there, he will be there. And behold, a voice came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for you, Lord God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets of the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel, king over Am. Jehu, the son of Nishi, denied king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Zephath, that other long word, and you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It's interesting that the problem Elijah was facing wasn't the problem or the answer that was given to him to solve his situation. Kind of a little, little bit of comedy here, wouldn't you say? God's got a little bit of a comic flavor. Elijah finally has the audience with God, God of the universe. And God still says, Elijah, why are you still here? Why is Elijah there? There's a funny story I want to tell you, but I won't tell you because of time. But you have to understand that the reason why we sometimes get to the point where there is a place, where there is a comedic 
feel of what God's doing or a different answer than what we're expecting is because there is a totally different perception of what God sees than what we see. And the reason why is because Elijah is afraid that everything rests on his shoulders. It's again being on the pedestal. Here's what I want you to know as we close today, and that is, it's so often we live for meaning, and when that meaning hits a hard patch of struggle, we tend to search for a new story or a vindication of the story we have lived up to this point. I live as I sat and walked and did things for God, and I hit my struggle. I was looking for a new story, and I even tried to get a new story. I tried to find another job when I faced my second. In between churches, I was on EI for 10 months, and was coming to the end of my EI and had no church. I even applied to jobs, anything, just to do something to look after the family. So when you hit and search for meaning, you look for a new story, you look for vindication, or I said, or I said, God, you know what, you know what's happened to me? Can you like smarten some people up here? But in reality, the story is so, 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 so big bigger than our part. The plan is still on track and the goal is still in reach. And we have to learn to trust the maker of the story. We have to trust his ability to make it happen and trust his provision to look after us. And lastly, see the solution God gave to Elijah as our own. The solution that God gave to Elijah is this. Go anoint other people for the same work. You feel alone? Join forces with other people connected to your cause. Find your life in a grander story. You need to know and look beyond the shadow of a doubt that your life isn't all about you. God has hidden people in your life for encouragement. They still stir you up and can help you out, and they will help you confront the places where your perception is wrong. They will help restore your soul. God is hidden in you in your situation, in your destiny, a succession plan. You aren't the first to go through it. You won't be the last. The longer you entertain the notion that you have to carry everything, the more depleted you will feel, and the less you will be able to do something about it. So understand this, that when you are in a situation, you, God does have the resources to get things done. I had to understand and correct my thinking that it wasn't all about me and my destiny and what he's called me to, that he's going to do the work. He is going to bring revival to the land. I just have to understand where my part is and being faithful to obey in his leading and to follow that leading. And understand that my little piece is a small piece to a bigger puzzle. All of you here in this room have a part to play in what God has called the church to do in this generation and in now. 
Some of you have had big plans. You desire to do great things for God, and yet it hasn't happened yet. Does that mean that they are, that it is, that it's just not going to take place? You have to understand that there is a big plan that God has set in motion and it's still running with full effectiveness and power. And he still needs you or wants you to play a part in that role. Sometimes it's the, it's, it's the presence of God that gives us the, the big picture of our part. Church, God has called us to be awakening. And that means that we're going to be in the midst of people who are sleeping You will need to know that you will face people who are in a rut and in a a modus operandi that they think that they're walking in correctness and in fullness, but in actuality, they are asleep and they are sleepwalking. The call of awakening church is that we would understand connection and build a family and that that would be recognized by others and that people would be able to fulfill their plan and purpose of God through the connection that they have with other people. And guess what? You're not going to be able to snap people out of their sleep by just going... Snap out of it. You won't be able to come up and say, well, just do better. Good for you. We need the Holy Spirit to restore people's souls and awaken them to the plan and purpose of God.